You know, you should never go through a day without learning something. You should never go through a worship service without learning something. I learned something already this morning. It had nothing to do with the songs. But when an old man forgets to um, pick up his communion cup on the way in, which we've been doing for so long, no one should be able to forget that, you learn why you have grandchildren. That's it. Now I know why I have grandchildren. If you forget your communion cup, you just send them out to go get it for you. Glad you're here this morning. It is a beautiful day, and we are blessed to be able to be here and to share this time together. I'm glad that you are here. We've been, we've been having a, uh, a very good season in a lot of ways. I hate some of the things that are going on, I guess, around us, and we, I think we all do, but we look forward to and pray for the time that this will not be the burden that it is, but I'm thankful we can be as we are today and be blessed as we are today. So anyway, I'm glad that you are here, and I'm glad to be here and share this time together. There's a question I want us to share this morning. It's a question that says, when will we know? When will we know? The 17th chapter of Luke, the 17th chapter of Luke in verse 20, some of the Pharisees, if you were in my Bible class this morning, we dealt with those guys and some of their questions then, but the Pharisees came with a question. It says, and when he was asked, speaking of Jesus, now when he was asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here, or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within or among you. You know, I believe, and I put down here, it's not my lingo, but I've heard it, confidence is our jam. I don't know what that means, really, but I just thought I'd throw in a sound make me sound really up-to-date and something, you know. Anyways, we like confidence. We like to feel confident. We want to feel confident. We feel good when we're confident. We like to have confidence before we act on something. We like to feel comfortable being able to do it. We don't like to be seen doing something that we failed in doing. We want to be confident. I can do this. I can accomplish this. Or I know this. Or whatever. When we, when we go into something, otherwise we get rather tense. We get rather fearful, skeptical, whatever it might be. We like to believe that we will get done what needs to be done, and that's our, uh, in a sense, an in, a result in itself, by itself, because we know what's coming our way. There's an old novel an old novel, you may have had to read it in school like I did, Stephen Crane's novel, The Red Badge of Courage. A lot of us had to read that when we were in school along the way, maybe junior high or high school, you had to read The Red Badge of Courage along the way. It tells them, to just to kind of give you the brief synopsis of the story, the main character, Henry Fleming, engaged in the Civil War, goes into battle, but then, like several others at that time, he fears for his life and runs for his life from the battle. Doesn't like who he's become, but he runs from the battle. I was thinking he would have had courage, but now realizing he didn't have and didn't have the confidence of the courage he thought he had. But then you go through the story and the things that confront him, the things that he deals with, even his own friend, the death of a friend. He returns ultimately. Now he knows what the battle entails. Now he knows what courage is about. Now he knows that regardless of whether he lives or dies, he can 
he can follow through. And that's exactly what he does. It's made us wonder in this classic novel. It's made us wonder as we look at ourselves and see ourselves within the character that is described here. It's made us wonder what we, would we have done in his shoes. Now some of you know. You've been there. You've been in those shoes. You have followed through. You've been in conflict like that. You've been in battle like that. Many of us have never faced something quite that dramatic, quite that powerful, quite that overcoming. We don't know exactly what we would do. We may think we would do one thing, but we don't always know what we would do. I think we like to play that game with ourselves that we say, you know, if I had been there, I would have done so-and-so. I think we've done that as we looked at Jesus, as we've looked at his disciples, as we looked at some of the others. We like to believe that we would have been the one that said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water and stepped out of the boat. We'd like to believe we'd be the one to stand up and say, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. We'd like to believe that we would have drawn our sword and cut off the man's ear. Perhaps, though, we are a little bit more like the young man Mark. The young man Mark who didn't go to the work the first time. Barnabas brought him along, being his kinsman, brought him along on the journey. He made it a certain distance, but didn't make it all the way, and he turned around and went home. Maybe we can relate a little bit to that. But Mark didn't do that. And later, when Barnabas wants to bring him along again as they begin another journey along the way, Paul says, no, we're not going to take the one that didn't go with us to the work. It became a pretty tenuous thing between Paul and Barnabas in that regard and broke up their partnership. But much later, much later, that apostle, the one who wouldn't take him along on that journey, wants him brought. He says, he's very useful to me. Time and learning, courage, experience, have brought him to the point that he was ready to be what Paul needed him to be in the pursuit of doing this great ministry that they had before him. Sometimes it takes a little time, a little thinking. But you know, that doesn't erase all the questions. There's no doubt that we all have questions, no matter where we are in our lives. We may be of greater courage than somebody sitting near us. We may be more adept than somebody sitting across from us. We may be more able to do some things and more ready to do some things than somebody else, but we all have questions. We all have that wonder, what, what is it that's out there? What will we find? I believe that we will not, in this life, find all the answers. No matter what the question are, we will never find all the answers. We won't find all the answers of science or of nature. We won't find everything that's about the depths of the sea round about us. We won't find what's in the universe round about us either, not completely. We must depend upon the fact that we won't have all those answers and trust the one who sets it all. For I didn't say, but we will never have all the answers about God and about life and what lies ahead. There are so many questions that come into our minds when we, as Christians and as people in general, try to pursue and understand what is it that's out there? What does God hold? What is even the nature of God in the broadest way? What is eternity and how do I begin to understand it? How can I think about a God who has no beginning and no end? When we think about everything having a beginning and having an end, how can eternity really exist? We struggle with a lot of things like that. 
But we shouldn't be afraid to ask. We don't need to be embarrassed that we are lacking in some area of knowledge, nor should we be afraid to ask the questions that make their way into our minds. If they are honest pursuits and honest questions, there's nothing wrong with the questions being asked. We may not always find the answers, but the questions ought to be asked. If they are honest pursuits, if they are honest questions, any question is a good question. Once in a while in a Bible class, someone will raise a hand and say, I know this is probably a stupid question. We don't use the word stupid, though. I apologize. I know this is probably a less than intelligent question. No, it is an intelligent question. If you've got a question, ask it. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with asking the question. If it's an honest pursuit, any question is a good question if it's really trying to gain a worthy understanding of something. Even Job had a question or two. You remember if you read through the book of Job, he wondered why in the world God was letting things happen to him the way that they were happening to him. He wanted to know. Now God gave him an answer and kind of set him back a little bit, but God wasn't down on Job. He thought Job was a faithful and a good man in so many ways. So a good question is a good question when we're seeking an honest answer to it. As I said, there are always questions. The Pharisees came to Jesus with a question. They wanted an answer. When will the kingdom of God come? They didn't understand. They wanted more knowledge, perhaps. But most likely, they were looking to find some flaw or some, something that which they could accuse Jesus in that regard. There are always questions. From the earliest times, there have been questions that have been directed to or toward God or about God in some way. Even as God confronts Cain about the death of his brother, Abel, Cain says, am I to God? Am I my brother's keeper? I know that's kind of a rhetorical question in a way, but it's still a question of put to God. As the Lord says, your brother, brother's blood cries out from the ground. Even faithful Abraham had a question of God when he was told about Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, would, your, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? As he asks of God. Questioning God and his judgment in that way, should we do that? Even Moses, as God confronts him about going and bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, Moses said, said to, to the Lord, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He didn't even say, am I the only one? Couldn't somebody else do this? Who am I that I should do that? Or just a little bit later, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? It was really an honest question. It may have been arrogant. It may have been full of itself. But there is some honesty in each of these questions that have been asked, except perhaps for Cain's. Remember the mother of Jesus, Mary? When the, she's confronted by the angel that she's going to have a child, she immediately responds, how can this be? She wants more information. It's not doubting, she just wants more information. But one of my favorites is Saul of Tarsus. Who are you, Lord, on the road to Damascus? Or even the disciples of Jesus, tell us when these things, when will these things be? Much like the Pharisees ask here, tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? There is a statement of faith there, but there's also a question. We want an answer to this. You're telling us things are going to happen, that this, this temple will not stand that much longer, where not one stone will be on another. When will these things be? 
questions are looking for answers, aren't they? Nothing wrong with the questions. Nothing wrong with asking the questions. They sought an answer to their question. When will the kingdom of God come? Good question. There's not a problem with the question itself. Jesus had preached about this kingdom. They had heard John the Baptist even before Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Or at least the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, depending on where you draw it. So the natural answer would be, when? When? You're telling me it's at hand. You're telling me it's near. We're talking about time. We're talking about place. Lord, where and when is this kingdom? There's a lot of things that are not fully understood. But where is this? Jesus preached about the kingdom. Even his closest disciples wandered right up to the very end until Jesus ascended. Will you restore the kingdom at this time to Israel? Acts 1 and verse 6. There's a question there. there. But there was a problem with their question. There was a problem with the reason for their question. It's not the question itself. It's the reason for asking the question. They just wanted to find fault with Jesus after he had shown them who, for who they were. And you look at the context and you can see that. Everywhere they went, every time they approached him, he kind of identified them and made that well known. So they thought they would put him in his place. Little did they know. But let's take it to you and me. I think there are things we want to know. I think there are answers we want to find. We may sometimes say, well, I'll wait until I see the Lord. I'll wait until heaven. Then I'll know that answer, I hope. There are a lot of things we don't fully understand. We know that science studies, and we appreciate the studies of science, but there is really no end to all the searches. It's kind of like the wise man Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3 about God and his beginning and his end, which doesn't exist. We search out his eternity, but we can't ever find it. There are questions we have. Is the universe a limited environment? If the universe is a limited environment, then what's on the outside of it? Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? I think most of our pursuits are pointed at and develop questions, and that's good. It develops questions sometimes to things we'll never find. I think in this life and in this world we'll never know the extent of all creation and know the limits and the boundaries thereof. But as we look very carefully at this, we see even as they come to Jesus with their question, Jesus was a natural setup for questions. For even his mother had asked questions of him. Didn't you know when she found him at 12 years old in the temple? Didn't you know we were looking for you? Didn't know you know your father and I would be worried and worried about you? Even though she knew some things about him, she still wondered about some things. And his enemies, like some of these Pharisees, if I call them enemies there, even his enemies, even those who wanted to find fault with him, even those who wanted to belittle him, constantly questioned. They sought questions. They came to him with questions. They wanted answers to their questions. And sometimes they weren't ready for what they got. And then he would perform a miracle. Again, I mentioned our Bible class this morning. And those miracles would sometimes incite people to ask questions. Say, what gave you the right to do this? How did you do that? 
Why couldn't we do that? There were a lot of questions that would be asked of him, and he would give answers. It is all right, my friends. It is all right to ask the question. It is proper to ask the question. At the end of a Bible class some 30 or so years ago, probably close to 30 years ago, a young woman at the end of the class came up, and she began to talk to me about the background. And she said, she said, you know, when I was growing up, and she grew up in the church, she grew up with very fundamental concepts and ideas. She grew up in the church, and she said, you know, we weren't, listen to this, we were not allowed to question. I don't mean, she, she wasn't saying couldn't ask questions, but they couldn't ask a question, why the Lord suffer? Why do we sing? Why do we worship? Why did Jesus have to die on that cross? We weren't allowed to ask those questions. We just had to accept that that's the way things were. And we weren't going to change them. We weren't going to question them. It was not up to us to question these things about who, why, when, and where. We were not to ask those questions. And I remember as she said that to me, I said, well, I don't understand that. Because I think we're supposed to ask the questions, aren't we? Yes, we're supposed to accept the reality. Yes, we're supposed to draw upon it. We're supposed to trust in faith. But how do we get there without a question? I don't think we get to faith without the question. When Peter addressed that great crowd on that Pentecost day and laid it all out before them and he poured out that message of what had been and what had happened and how Jesus had died and how God had raised him up, that immediately the question is asked. Immediately the question is asked, what should we do? Teaching incites questions. The necessity of faith incites questions. And we should ask the question. We should seek the answers because the answers are there. And I want you to see something here. You see, I want you to see something in the message here. Because when they came and they were looking for this king, when's it going to come? When the conquering hero going to come down? When is the army going to invade? When are you going to push aside the Roman leaders that are around here? When are we going to cease paying taxes to them? When are we going to cease being bossed around to them? When are we going to cease being afraid and be a subservient? When are we are going to cease to be a subservient people? When is this going to happen? When will this kingdom, like unto David, when will this kingdom come again? When is this going to happen? How are we going to see this? Friends, it's all right to ask the question. Because at the heart of the question is the wonder about God and faith. And Jesus comes back with this. The answer are in you. Oh, wait, Russ, that's not what he said. The kingdom is within you. They didn't understand. They didn't see it. They wanted to know about a kingdom. They wanted to know about its structure. They wanted to know about its place. They wanted to know when it was built. They wanted to know everything they could about that and who was going to be in charge and how this was going to be. They wanted to see. They wanted to see this kingdom. They wanted to know about the kingdom much in the way. Much in the way we ask about the status of our country the laws that govern it, its place, and all of those things. 
And Jesus comes back simply with the kingdom is. You see, they thought of a kingdom in purely physical, physical terms. To them, it was an organization of people. To them, it was a military might. To them, the kingdom was about removing oppression that was laid upon them as they saw it that day. So how do we see the kingdom? Even as we say the kingdom is seen in the church. For even then, we tend to think We tend to think about buildings. We tend to think about organization. We tend to think about specific doctrinal ordinances or a stairway to heaven. We see, we tend to see the kingdom as being some sort of physical representation. We see it in that way and recognize it by simple ordinances, a simple plan, a simple thing laid out for us. Something that we can see and, and recognize with, with reality that we can tangibly touch with our hands and understand with our minds and our logic. But instead, Jesus comes back with this. It is within you or among you. Let me offer to you a few thoughts in that as they flash across the screen. I believe what he's telling them, it is abiding in his word and his word abiding in you as he tells in John 15. As we abide in his word and his word in us, we are his disciples and his disciples indeed. It is what is abiding within you that makes the kingdom. It is also the character of Christ being lived, the character that we see of him, the character we understand of him being lived in us individually and collectively as a body of believers. It is the expression of the love that he taught us. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Primary, primary, that you love one another as I have loved you. What an occupation of life that is. What a, what a development it is. How hard it is to arrive at that position. The kingdom is found within that concept of loving one another as he loved us, that we might be known by the love that we show for one another. It is the character of Christ, the love of Christ being lived in us individually and collectively as a body of believers as well as an individual of heart. It is also of obeying. There's no doubt it is about obedience. It is about doing the right things and doing them as best we understand them. Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord. It's not just about some words spoken. It's not just about some simple actions. It is about obedience. It's about a determination to do what he has given us to do with the best of our ability to do it. It is in obeying. Not everyone that says, Lord, but he that does the will, recognizing God for who he is, doing the will of my Father who is in heaven because he is God, because we love him, because he has given us what we can be and do. It is within us. It is also in keeping the instructions out of a purposeful love. It's not just doing them because we're afraid of hell. It's kind of like driving down the road and you'll only stay within the, you'll stay within the speed limit only because you're afraid of getting a ticket. If that's your only reason, 
save up some money and pay the ticket. Did I say that out loud? That's not very good advice, is it? But you understand what I'm saying. That's not the reason, is it? The reason we do what we do is not because we are forced to do it. While we may be servants of heart and humility, it is not because we are forced to be here this morning that we are here. If the only reason we came in the doors of this building to worship God this morning is so I can put a chuck mark on the book and I won't be condemned to hell because I came to worship on this Sunday. We missed it. It is about keeping the instructions out of loving him. If you love me, he said, then keep my commandments. That's when you keep them. Or as Paul teaches us, it is about wearing the whole armor. It's about recognizing what you can be and what you can, you can do and what you can put on yourself. It's about taking on you the whole armor of God and having done, he said, having done all to stand, having done everything you can to be what you can be. He says, then be it. That's the kingdom within you. It really couldn't be more simple. It really couldn't be more easy in that regard to understand. Paul stated it as clearly as any ever had. And when Jesus said the kingdom is within you, Paul understood it. In Philippians 1, he very plainly said, For me to live is Christ. The kingdom is within you or among you. Whether we're talking about the collective body, we're talking about ourselves individually, and that's where it begins, with you and me individually, learning and growing and becoming what it is. When these came to him, they wanted to know about this physical kingdom. He said, I want you to understand, as he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, but it is something that lives, that is vital within you and in your life. So if we want to know about the kingdom, We'll look to Christ. But then when we look into ourselves, you will know it when you look into you. Then you know truly the kingdom. When will the kingdom come? You open your life and heart to him, and it comes. When I was a young boy, yes, I know, but when I was a young boy, we began the school day with two things, as you remember. Maybe some of you did the same thing. There was that Pledge of Allegiance. But there was also the Lord's Prayer. Somewhere along the line, one of the Sunday school teachers said, we cannot recite the Lord's Prayer. He meant well. He said, because it says, your kingdom come. Years later, and so at the beginning of the day, I would leave that line out because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I understand that the kingdom has come, but it is very much an individual matter. Your kingdom come to me, to you. Your kingdom come into my life. I think there are people who have spent a long time going to church buildings, listening to sermons, even singing songs. 
praying prayers, even making good offerings, but have never realized the full concept of the kingdom within. My prayer would be that your kingdom come into our lives fully. This morning we're going to sing a song of encouragement and invitation. Again, if there's someone who needs to respond this morning, let this invitation be especially for you. If you need to come in response to Christ's invitation, to obey the gospel, to be baptized into Christ, to have sins washed away, to begin your life in Him, to turn it around, repentance and confession and baptism are fundamental. And if you need that, please, let this opportunity be yours. If you need to know more, let us help you with that as well. If there's another need you have, you need the prayers or something this morning, whatever it might be, let this opportunity be yours. And if you need to come, please do so while we stand and we sing this song together.